0: Thank you, Bob. I want to welcome all of you to the final part of our Love, Acceptance, Forgiveness series, and I have a book, actually, uh, that is just wonderful, and I'd love to be able to give it away. Is anybody a first-timer that you wouldn't be too embarrassed to let us know, and I can just hand you a book? Liar. Um, (laughs) Someone that's been here less than a month, less than a month. First time, anybody right here? Right here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. You're going to love this, and it's short. It's... My favorite kind of book. <laughs> if there's pictures, they're even better. Um, so uh, do you ever forget to remember really important things? I was just with a friend of mine, and um, their son forgot that it was his sister's birthday, which isn't terribly uncommon except when you factor in their twins. <laughs> um, but he to- he did. He totally forgot. And I'm kind of like that. Um, I forget to remember, like, really important things. Um, I'm at an age of my life now where the years I have remaining are less than the years I have already lived. And here's what I'm tempted to forget. I am being tempted in real time to forget how faithful God has been to me in my past and my brain and my mind and my thoughts are wanting me to worry and be afraid about this, the latter half of my life. So I am tempted to forget all his impeccable history of all the ways he's taken good care of me, and I'm tempted uh, to be afraid. And um, uh, I see in myself and I see in others that it's sometimes really easy for us to remember really hard things, really painful things, really negative things. And it can be easy, really easy to forget all the really beautiful things. So if you have a sibling, it can be really easy to remember all the annoying things they say and do to you or your friends. Um, and you can easily forget all the beautiful memories and moments that you guys have shared um, together. It can be easy to, to remember um, when you're in... A really hard situation with a long-term friend, it can be really hard to remember all the moments you've shared over the years and decades because that one difficult situation or moment in that long-term friendship just rises up to a point where that's all we can see and think about and we can forget all the stuff, all the years, all the moments, all the memories. It can be easy um, to remember all the worries and concerns you have about the season of life you now find yourself in, and it can be easy to forget how God has been there for you in all the previous seasons of your life. And God knows this about us. He knows we're prone to uh, forget to remember. He knows that about us. And in fact, there was a very unorthodox thing by modern standards that God would have his people do to help them remember really beautiful things. And so if, if somebody back in the day in the Old Testament, if they had this incredible encounter with God's presence or with God's protection or with God's provision, they would do this really interesting thing where they would go find a pile of rocks near them and they would begin to stack them on top of each other. And it was to act as like a memorial, like it would act as like a memory. So they'd have this cool encounter with God, and so they'd get a bunch of rocks, stack them on top of each other, and those rocks would represent what it was that God said or did in that moment, because they were just as prone to forget about those moments as we were, because how many of you guys know there's then another moment? (laughs) There's another hard moment that happens. And we forget about this. So he's like, would you pile a bunch of rocks? Because that's what they had plenty of. They'd pile rocks. And not only was it a reminder for the person that had that encounter with God, but it was a reminder to to future generations. So the grandkids, so like someone would have an encounter with God, build a pile of rocks, their grandkid would walk by and go, hey, grandpa, what is this for? Oh, I got to tell you. Let me tell you about these rocks. Let me tell you about this encounter I had with God and what God said and what God did. Here's how he showed up in my life. And they would tell the story and it would remind everybody of what God had said or done because we are so prone to forget, to remember. One thing I think many of us are prone to forget is how much God and others have had to forgive us for. And when we are tempted to forget how much God and others have forgiven us for, we will be tempted to pick up a rock and throw it at somebody. Because they've offended us. They've hurt us. They've wronged us. They've harmed us. And when I am tempted and when I forget how much offense God and others have forgiven me for. When I become offended, I'm going to be tempted to pick up a rock and throw it. Throwing a stone today looks like throwing some shade. It looks like throwing people's past mistakes into their face. Um, It looks like maintaining a beef and holding a grudge. Throwing a rock today looks like minimizing our stuff and putting a microscope onto someone else's stuff. Uh, We hurl rocks today when we refuse to talk with someone, but we're really comfortable talking about them with others. And we're really comfortable actually just having imaginary conversations with them in our own mind. We hurl rocks whenever we kind of celebrate the pain that someone's going through who caused us pain. We hurl rocks whenever we assume things about other people that we would never want them to assume about us. So if we stopped right now and I gave everyone a chance to share all the things others have said and done to you that you've had to forgive them for, we would be here all day, right? And if we stopped and took a moment for everyone to share about all the things others have had to forgive you for, we'd be here all day. And if we stopped and took a moment right now to share all the things God and others have had to forgive us for, we wouldn't leave this room. We would never leave. By the time the last person shared, someone would have sinned again, and we'd have to go right back to the beginning and go, God, please forgive me. And if you're somewhat tempted to not believe this next statement is true, which is this. Did you know that you'll never have to forgive somebody for more things and for more times that God has had to forgive you for? And, and if you're tempted to not believe that's true, here's what Jesus said to those of us who would be like, well, no, I don't know that that's true. He said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? See, when we don't believe that that's true, we will begin to look at every situation like I have a speck and you have a log. So yeah, I got something, but it's not nearly as big as your problem's. And Jesus says, actually, no, you're the one, Adam. You have the log. They have the speck. And then I have my story. I'm like, yeah, but Jesus, you got to hear my story. He's like, I've heard your story. He's like, yeah, but you see how they got the log? He's like, no, Adam, you have the log. That's why you're not seeing this situation clearly. See, I always want to flip it because it feeds my pride. If I can have the little speck and you can have the, the log, then that makes me feel good, and maybe I get to throw one of these. And that feels kind of good, too. And Jesus is like, Adam, you have a log. And they have a speck. Jesus says hard stuff. When we don't believe that that's true, this is when we are going to become puffed up, arrogant, proud, judgmental, self-righteous, and unforgiving. Having hurt, offense, and unforgiveness in our lives makes it really hard for us to remember that we have a log in our eye. And as we walk through this side of eternity, it's going to be really not that all that hard or all that unusual to pick up offense. It's not going to be hard in this life as you walk through life and go to school and go to work and go home. It's not going to be hard to pick up offense grudges, beefs, and when we pick up an offense and when we choose to hold on to offense and unforgiveness is when we're going to get ready to aim and throw. Now, luckily for us, the creator of the universe, our great physician and wonderful counselor, has made a way for our offended hearts to be healed. And God's healing ointment and His medicinal prescription is forgiveness. So, I believe we all just need to laugh a little bit more. And by laugh, I mean we all need to love, accept, and forgive a little bit more. These are three really beautiful words that I think we all long to be on the receiving end of, (laughs) but could be hard and we could resist being generous towards others with because of the offense that they've caused us. Do you know how we're going to know we're growing as a faith family? It's not going to be because we were so well greeted when we arrived here, and it's not going to be how wonderful the coffee is or how on point the singing was or how on point the message was. We're going to know we're growing as a faith family when we find ourselves privately and publicly confessing our sin to one another, opening up about our struggles, talking about our unforgiveness, going to the people who offended us to seek forgiveness and reconciliation, forgiving one another just as in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. This is what a healthy family, this is what a mature family does. We confess, we apologize, we repent, we forgive. But we all have a story. In fact, we all have stories. And if we could all tell our story about the offense someone has caused you, you know what we may be tempted to do on your behalf? Find more rocks for you. You ever picked up somebody else's offense? They're like, they said that to you? Give me a rock. I'll go find some good ones. Can I get in on this? We weren't even there for the offense, but we got it now. I found some, I got a whole pile. It's unbelievable. But doing that wouldn't help bring the healing and closure your heart so desperately desires. And in fact, all that would do to my heart And my mental health and spiritual health is eroded if I begin to pick up your offenses too, along with mine. See, as we do life together, um, we're gonna say and do things that offend, all of us. Sometimes it's by accident, sometimes in our brokenness, it's on purpose. Sometimes offense occurs because someone misread, misheard, or misinterpreted what you said or did and didn't love you enough to go clarify with you. Sometimes people pick up offense because they seem to have the gift of being easily offended. And some of us are easily offended by people who get easily offended. So I think we all need to laugh a little bit more. And so here's what we've been reading every single week, and I'm challenged by this every time I hear these words, and I'm going to actually ask us to read it together, though it's very long. I'm going to have us try reading it together. Here it is. Let's go. Ready? The minimal guarantee we must make is that we will love them always under every circumstance with no exception. The second guarantee is that we will accept them totally without reservation. The third thing we must guarantee people is that no matter how miserably they fail or how blatantly they sin, our unreserved forgiveness is theirs for the asking with no bitter taste left in anybody's mouth. I almost got acid reflux just reading that. It's like, oh my gosh. Whew. Love me, accept me, have unreserved forgiveness for me, but when I got to do that for you, oh, that hurts. So this rock represents our grudge, it represents our offense, it represents our forgiveness. But throwing this rock is, at our offender is not the only way we can rid ourselves of this rock. Jesus has shown us another way, a better way, which makes a lot of sense because Jesus is the way. And so... We're going to find our way forward by looking back to the true story that took place on an early morning at the temple in Jerusalem, the most holy site in the Jewish faith. So here's the scene. Jesus had just sat down to teach. Preston, all around him, as always, are large crowds. And in almost every large crowd that surrounded Jesus, there were at least two kinds of people in the audience offending people that Jesus chose to forgive and people who got really offended because Jesus chose to forgive really offensive people. So as Jesus begins his sermon, he is interrupted mid-sentence by a group of religious leaders and experts in the law who come dragging with them a terrified woman who clearly would rather be anywhere else in the world than where she found herself that morning. It says this in John chapter 8, "'The teachers of the law and the Pharisees "'brought in a woman caught in adultery. "'They made her stand before the group.'" And said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. This is an intense scene. Can you feel it? So, quick observation. It is very clear from Scripture that she was caught by an eyewitness. Somebody literally walked in on her. There was no mistaking what she had done. Now, for the question you are all asking, where's the dude? Where's the guy? John doesn't say. John is the disciple who recorded this account. Maybe he ran. Um, Maybe the religious leaders were being selective in their judgment because of their biases in favor of this man and against this woman. Have you ever judged someone else by their actions but judge yourself by your intentions? You're doing what they were doing. I've done that before. I'm doing what they were doing in this story. Um, I follow politics and sports a lot, and this shows up in those two areas all the time. Have you ever had someone who's into those two things as well? Um, If their favorite athlete or politician does something horrible, they're like, yeah, but... And then they talk about the athlete from the other team or the other party that they hate. That's doing what the Pharisees are doing, selective in their justice, selective in their measurement of what is right and wrong. This is what you should listen for. Listen for someone saying, what about? That's a clear indicator that they're doing what the Pharisees did, because someone will go, hey, they did this, yeah, but what about over here? What about over here? Yeah, but what about the dude? Yeah, but what about the girl? I want us to find us in every person that's in this story. Very few of us can relate to finding ourselves in such an incredibly painful, vulnerable, and scary position that this woman found herself in that morning. And though though we or though you have maybe never committed adultery, or maybe you've never been caught committing adultery, uh, let's try to find ourselves in the story anyways. And if you would like to, you can substitute out adultery and just put in whatever sin you do do and struggle with could be anger, pride, jealousy, gossiping, complaining. Um, I could throw my pride into the mix. I got lots of that. It leads to anger. I could throw that in there for myself. So you can substitute out the sin, or if you want to get really uncomfortable, um, Jesus just defines adultery a little bit different than most. And let me read to you how he defines it. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard of it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So I am a recovering, forgiven adulterer because I have lusted after women that were not my wife. I have committed adultery in my heart. I am guilty. I am this woman in the story. I have been caught in that. I'd imagine many of you in this room have had a fleeting thought, a fantasy, something pop into your head. Welcome. And if you're like, well, I'm not married, I can't commit adultery, but that makes you a fornicator. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're all in the story, okay? <laughs> so I'm not unlike this woman caught in my sin, broken, and wanting God to help break me free from my sin and struggles, my, my unhelpful habits, my, my hang-ups, my hurts. So put yourself in this woman's shoes. She's being held against her will in public with the biggest mistake she's ever made in her entire life. Earlier that morning, she was caught naked and exposed in a bedroom And now she was being uncovered in front of a huge crowd of people at the temple. Surrounded by her peers and surrounded by some really powerful religious leaders. So the religious leaders and lawyers wanted to make this as public and as embarrassing for her and for Jesus as possible. They basically weaponized this woman against Jesus. They exposed her sin in an attempt to try to expose Jesus because they believed he was a false prophet and they wanted him to mess up in this situation so everyone else could see what they believed to be true about him, which was he is not the Messiah. Can you imagine how vulnerable, afraid, and how out of control everything must have felt for this woman as she stood there alone surrounded by all these people? Now, imagine being the religious leaders who are right in this one respect, that adultery is sin. I'd imagine if your spouse or future spouse committed adultery on you, you might be tempted to reach for one of these. Let's put ourselves in two people's shoes who aren't in this story, the husband and the wife of the two people that just cheated together. I'm sure their day started off pretty uneventful, and now, a few hours later, their whole world is upside down. Imagine if this husband and wife that cheated together, if they had children. Imagine being in their little tiny shoes, trying to process, what, what, what did mom just do? What, what, what did dad just do? This is messy, and this is painful for a lot of people. So let's put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. So a lawyer speaks up because they sent, they sent in the big guns. They, sit in the, they sent in the experts in the law, like, we're coming after Jesus, I think we got him. So a lawyer speaks directly to Jesus. Here's what he said to him In the law... Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And John comments, they were using this question as a trap. They didn't care about this woman. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him of something. So put yourself in Jesus' shoes. The crowds of people just who happened to be walking by who were there. All these religious leaders and experts of the law standing ready and this woman standing by herself. What do you say, Jesus? Now, Jesus knows a few things. One thing Jesus knows, Jesus knows adultery is a sin. He knows that. And He knows adultery has the potential to destroy families and marriages. Jesus also knows this woman is made into the image of God and therefore is deserving of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And Jesus also knows that love isn't a license to keep on sinning. Acceptance doesn't mean adultery is okay. And forgiveness doesn't mean nobody experiences consequences. He knows all of this. So what do you do? This situation was a powder keg ready to explode with landmines everywhere. Well, Jesus does something that I think would be really helpful for me to consider doing and you to consider doing whenever we find ourselves in a situation where offense is occurring and emotions are getting high and things are escalating. It says this in John 8, 6, then Jesus bent down to the ground and started writing with his finger. I'm going to ask John someday when I see him, like, dude, you left out a lot of details in this story. (laughs) Where's the dude and what was Jesus doing? John doesn't tell us. Now, here's what Jesus did that could be helpful for me in a situation that's tough. It won't be that situation, I'm sure. It'll be some challenging... All the men... They're standing up tall and proud, because that's what offense will make you do, stand up tall and proud and arrogant and self-righteous. So Jesus stoops down low. Jesus takes a position of humility against some really arrogant, self-righteous men. That is hard to do, to be humble when someone else is being arrogant. Whew, that is tough. So Jesus, I don't know, collects his thoughts, gathers himself. He took some time before responding. It says in John 8, 7 through 8, when they kept on questioning himself, as he's knelt down, doing whatever he's doing in the sand... They keep questioning him. He straightened up. Now, I wonder if Jesus also stooped down low. I wonder if he did that because that's what she was doing. I wonder if she was stooped down, head down, shame, embarrassment. That's what I do when I feel shame and embarrassment. I stoop down. I wonder if Jesus, out of his great compassion, just didn't stoop down a little bit. Because he could have stooped in two ways. He could have stooped to the men's level and picked one up and stooped to their level, or he could stoop to her level and literally get down and mirror her position, which is what he did. So they keep on questioning him. So, he said, let any of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stoops down and writes. He said, you're right, it is a sin. It is wrong. So, let's do it. The person that has no sin, you get to throw first. First. Those who minimize, justify, defend, and excuse their own hurts, hang ups, and unhelpful habits are the most likely to hold on to offense and throw some rocks. And in this true story, Jesus is exposing the common sin of wanting to punish others for their sin while ignoring our own. How much awareness did these men with their rocks have of their own sin for most of this conversation? Zero. So Jesus says, in only a way, I mean, I don't care how many experts in the law you send to Jesus, he's going to get you. He's just going to get you. So it says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left. This is what you would have heard. Just a bunch of dudes dropping rocks. Because they finally gained some self-awareness of their sin their self-righteousness, things they did 10 years ago that God had to forgive them for, things they did five days before this day that God had to forgive them for. See, the more acutely we are aware of our own shortcomings, mistakes, and weaknesses and sins, the more we remember all that God and others have had to forgive us for, the more likely we are to be generous with our forgiveness, put down our rocks, and walk away with no bitter taste left in our mouth. In that moment, God triggered self-awareness in them. You have sin that God has had to forgive you for. And I, in that moment, they could have told their, themselves this story. Yeah, but it's not as bad as hers. Do you ever get stuck in your offense because you compare what you've done to theirs and they always end up worse than you? Yeah, I've done that. Well, Jesus had asked her a question. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? So she says, no one, sir. (laughs) And neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus loves her enough to not condemn her and loves her enough to tell her to go and stop doing that. Stop committing adultery. It's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt others. Jesus loves us enough to not minimize our sin, and he loves us enough to not minimize his grace and forgiveness. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Yes, she committed a sin. Yes, she did not stand condemned. And yes, she would still face consequences from what happened that morning. We don't know the rest of her story. We don't know if her marriage made it. We don't know if the marriage of the man, if that marriage made it. I have no idea. We must never equate experiencing consequences with a lack of forgiveness from God. You can be 100% forgiven by God and experience 100% of the consequences from what we've done. And we just have to remind ourselves that experiencing consequences does not inherently mean we've not been forgiven. If I punched a friend in the face and broke his nose, he could forgive me that day. And he'd walk away with brokenness. He'd still, there would still be that. I, I, I may go to jail for assault. I may still have to face that, right? It wouldn't mean that I haven't been forgiven. So some of you need to hear that because some of you are, are seeing the consequences that have played out from decisions you made in your life that have rippled down into your friends and neighbors and children. And you think, well, maybe I'm not forgiven, and God would have you know, if you've confessed your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, and you still may face consequences from decisions that you've made. Some of you need to take that and hold on to that when the enemy comes and lies to you and says, see, you've not been forgiven because things are still hard. No, things can still be hard, and you can still be forgiven. I bet this woman, this is just my bet, I bet this woman went on to be the most generous forgiver the world has ever seen. I bet every time someone offended her from that day forward, she went back to that day, that morning, that guy, the sound of rocks falling onto the ground and men walking away one at a time. I bet she went by and when someone offended her, she remembered, oh, I remember that day when that man, Jesus, forgave me for the worst thing I'd ever done. I bet she remembered those words, neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. I bet she was a generous forgiver. There was a man who was a part of that same Pharisee group. He wasn't there that day, but he was a part of their group. His name was Saul. And at one point in his life, he used to hunt down and round up Christians so that they could be stoned. He would literally go find Christians and they would stone them to death. Stoning was their form of capital punishment. You'd either throw it at them or lay rocks on top of them until it crushed them to death. Saul, that's part of what he did. And then Saul meets the resurrected Jesus. You can find his story in the book of Acts. Saul meets Jesus, the very person he's been persecuting, becomes a Christian, the very group of people he was stoning and having stoned, his name becomes Paul, and Paul goes on to write about half the letters we find in our New Testament Bibles. Here's what Paul says about forgiveness, and this comes from a man who knows how much he has had to be forgiven for. Here's what he says in a letter he wrote to a group of Christians living in the city of Colossae. He says, make allowance for each other's faults. Man, that's already painful. You mean like throw rocks at them, right? And like, make allowance? No. No. And forgive anyone, anyone. But Paul, but if you heard my story, you wouldn't include them in the anyone. He's like, if you heard my story, you'd know what I mean. I mean this. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, and this is the why, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others we forget to remember really important, beautiful things like all we've been forgiven for. God and others have had to forgive me so much and so many times for my anger, for my lust, for my attitude, for my self-righteousness, for my sarcasm, for my making jokes at their expense, for my excuses that I make, for my defensiveness when called out on things. What have God and others had to forgive you for over and over and over and over again? And what do you need to forgive others for? And for some of you, what do you need to forgive you for? Because we don't just throw rocks at others. Some of us throw them at ourselves. And we'll just use the term, I beat myself up. I beat myself up. That's when you just take a rock and throw it at yourself. Because you're not embracing the forgiveness that God has made so abundant to you. You're forgetting about His grace. I do that too. I forget. So help yourself forgive others by remembering all that you've been forgiven for. Help yourself forgive others. Here's a rock I want to throw. And this, this rock can I can lay it down in two ways: I can throw it at you because it represents my offense towards you, or I can look at it and be like, "This represents all my sin that god 's had to forgive me for, and instead of throwing it, I make a little pile, I make a little memorial oh here 's another sin god 's had to forgive me for here 's another sin god 's had to forgive me for. Here's this same stupid sin I keep telling myself I'm not going to do anymore, and I do it again. We can throw, or we can build. And all this power represents all the sin God and others, my wife, my children, my friends, have had to forgive me for Help yourself forgive others by remembering, remembering all that you've been forgiven for. Many of us, including myself, believe lies about what forgiveness is and isn't, which results in us experiencing unwanted emotions, which leads us to being unwilling to forgive. It's because we don't understand what forgiveness is or isn't, causes us to be unwilling or to resist dishing it out. So I actually think this could be a huge blessing for um, some of us here. We actually, we're going to hand these out when you leave this morning. We printed a little card, and on one side is the verse from Colossians, and on the back side, it's it's a bunch of things that help us understand what forgiveness is and isn't. I'm just going to read you a few examples. Forgiveness is not an emotion, it's a decision. Some of you say, well, I don't feel it. Yeah, that's fine. If you don't feel something, forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is not dependent on the offender apologizing or even changing their behavior. Some people are holding on to unforgiveness with people who have long passed away and can't change or apologize for anything. So forgiveness is not dependent on an apology. You can forgive With someone never owning it and never saying sorry, that's actually how forgiveness sometimes works. In fact, if that's what you're waiting for, that's the story you're telling yourself as to why you can't forgive, because I haven't gotten this yet. I haven't gotten that yet. And you'll be waiting. And instead of building memorial, you'll be waiting to throw. And in fact, you'll start to pick up more offense and more. And then you're going to be walking around like heavy burdened, like trying to carry all this weight it's gonna go, it's gonna be unhealthy for us to try to do that. Um, forgiveness is not primarily for them; it's for you. I asked my wife, "Who do I struggle with forgiveness with?" Because I was struggling to think of anyone, and I know it's not because I don't struggle with it. I was just like, "Help me. You know me better than anyone." In fact, if you want to get really brave, ask someone you live with; they'll know the answer. <laughs> and just be ready to hear; they'll tell you. I said, "Who do I bring up?" Who? She goes, "Well, she goes really." for you, it's God. I was like, ooh. And right away, it it connected. Now, has God wronged me? No. Does he need to apologize for anything? No. But in my mind, when I pray and he doesn't give me what I want and doesn't do what I want in the timing in which I want, I begin to resent that. And I begin to hold on to some unforgiveness towards God. because I'm disappointed with him. I thought you loved me. Why is this happening? So I forgive him, not because he needs it, not because he's done anything. I forgive him for me, because when I don't forgive God and you don't forgive someone in your home, you're going to start to distance yourself from them, and that's what I'll do with God. I'll start to distance myself from the very person who can actually touch my heart and heal my offense, So you may need to forgive somebody, you may need to forgive yourself, you may need to forgive God, this is for you. The last example I want to give, and these will all be on the card that you get, forgiveness is not always ceasing to feel the pain. You may still feel hurt and have completely forgiven someone, that's totally normal. So what complaints, grudges, or offenses are you holding on to? Instead of throwing a rock, we can build a memorial. That's an option for us. And whenever we're tempted to throw a stone, we can be reminded of these words. Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw. I want to invite our worship team up. They're going to sing a a song that calls us to the altar. An altar is... a. Uh, an Old Testament term that's often used in church to represent kind of the the front of the room. You don't need to come to the front of the room. But I want to make this available to you to come because some of you need to come and you have a rock collection and you need to lay it down and walk away like those men did. You need to become aware of how much you've been forgiven for. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be too proud. Just come do it. Lay it down at your seat. Come up here and lay it down wherever you want to do it. I know it could be scary. I know it can be hard. And you may walk up, wake up tomorrow and need to come lay it down again at your house or at your school. Some of you just need to come up and you need to take one of these rocks with you as a reminder and just put it somewhere. This represents all the sin I've been forgiven for. Whatever you need to do today, whatever you need to lay down, whatever. You need to let go of. As we sing this song, would you come and do that? And then I'm going to come back up, and we're going to give an opportunity for people to pray and confess and share. So as you guys lead us, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness. Help me to lay down my stones, Lord Jesus. Help me to remember all that I've been given for. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: This is calling. Oh, come to.
0: please come on up. Pastor Jackie, if you can head to the back with our forgiveness cards. If you need prayer, please don't leave without getting in. You may know the person next to you and maybe they could pray for you, but we're going to have teams available. Don't leave without someone being able to lay hands on you, pray for you, encourage you on your journey with God. If you need to lay something down, whether it's a rock you want to throw at someone else or a rock you want to throw at yourself, whatever it is, don't leave and Don't miss an opportunity. If you don't walk with Jesus and you want to become a follower of Jesus, would you come find me? Would you come pray? And we would love to pray with you and discuss with you what that looks like to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, Lord God, help me to lay down the rock that I'm sure I'm going to want to pick up tomorrow. Because I don't know what lies ahead for my life tomorrow but I may find myself in a situation where I'm feeling proud and judgmental and self-righteous Lord and would you remind me of all that you've forgiven me for would you remind us of all that we've been forgiven for remind us of all that other people have had to forgive us for Lord Jesus and may I lay down my rock and may I lay down my sin Lord Jesus thank you for your grace thank you for your amazing amazing grace I pray all this in Jesus name Amen Man, have a fantastic Sunday, friends. Thank you.